Welcome to another episode of Geography Now from the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. We are a charity, learned society and professional body and reach millions of people each year through our work in advancing geography and supporting geographers. In this podcast series, we'll be talking to geographers about the work that they're doing, topics they're passionate about and opinions they have about the world around us. At a time when it is impossible to host speakers at the Society, we are committed to creating content that can be accessed online and are excited to feature individuals who would have spoken at our events around the UK. In today's podcast, we'll be discussing the work of geographers in relation to pandemics. Joining us today is Dr Janie Messina. Janie is an Associate Professor in Quantitative Social Science Methods at the University of Oxford and specialises in health geographies and the spatial epidemiologies of infectious diseases. Thank you for joining us today, Janie. Can you start by telling us a bit about yourself? I'm currently an Associate Professor of Social Science Research Methods based at the University of Oxford. I'm split between the Geography Department and the Oxford School of Global and Area Studies. Um, but my background has been through and through geography. And can you touch on the types of research you do and the general fields you're involved in? Yeah, so I have tended to focus on infectious disease research from a spatial geographic side. And I got into it from studying a lot of GIS during my undergrad years. And when I um, started to do a master's degree, I got asked to work on a West Nile virus project because of my GIS skills. And that just sort of led me down the path of health and medical geography. And I just carried on with that ever since. And it has tended to remain focused on mosquito-borne diseases or vector-borne diseases. But presumably my sort of areas of interest could be applied to any aspect of health, really. Obviously, this is an incredibly important field of research, given the current situation with COVID-19. How are you and other geographers helping us to understand the spread and impact of the pandemic? Yeah, so I think geography is naturally something that makes sense when we're thinking about a pandemic, where people are, um, how they're moving, inequalities, spatial, social, environmental inequalities, all of these things are really important. They're the type of things that geographers are already studying. I think the most interesting thing to note is that it's sort of not just what we consider health geographers or medical geographers that are taking an interest in this or having something to offer. I think we sort of typically would think of geographers who focus on disease mapping, disease ecology, uh, spatial epidemiology, as the type of people in this field who would be focusing on COVID-19. But when you look at some of the work that's going on, I think, um, and even though those are the areas that I tend to focus on, I think what's been interesting to me is seeing that geographers in all different sub-disciplines or areas of the field of geography have been uh, contributing from sort of everything ranging from pure physical geography to human, social, cultural geography. I think there are people contributing from all different sides of the field. And this sort of brings me to something interesting that I found when thinking about this topic. I came across an article, a publication, Wired, and back in April, they produced an article that said, amid a pandemic, geography returns with a vengeance. Uh, And I thought that was 
quite funny. Um, it was actually a really well-written article, but that title made me laugh and also the opening line made me laugh. It said, um, the pandemic is redefining our relationship with space, not outer space, but physical space. Hotspots, distance, spread, scale, proximity, in a word, geography. Suddenly we can't stop thinking about where. Basically, it was like this author of this article suddenly realized what every geographer has known for a very long time, that space and place matter and that where you are matters. But I think COVID-19 is really kind of bringing that to the forefront in a way that it hadn't before and making people realize that actually, you know, what we do as geographers is really important, regardless of whether you are an infectious disease specialist or not. So in terms of what I've been doing specifically related to, to COVID-19, you know, I want to maybe not focus too heavily on that because there are so many people doing so many interesting things across the field. Um, and for me, it's really been the odd project here and there. I think it's also important to note that none of us at this point are experts in COVID-19 because it's so brand new. But there are people who I think are more prepared, maybe some people who've been studying respiratory illnesses and things like that or human mobility, I think they're going to be the people who are a little bit more prepared for this type of thing than, than the rest. But I did want to mention just a couple of projects that I've been working on. So one uh, is related to a group I've been working with in Brazil. Um, it's actually a UK-Brazil collaborative project called CADDE, C-A-D-D-E. It's a group that is meant to study arboviruses, so viruses carried by mosquitoes primarily. So they've been really focused on dengue and uh, yellow fever in Brazil. But they kind of switched focus recently for a few months. Their funders, I think it was the MRC here in the UK, allowed them to switch focus for a few months to studying coronavirus in Brazil. And uh, my DPhil student, Sabrina Lee, um, she's been the main person collaborating on this from the geography side of things. And Brazil, is, I think it has um, the highest rate of COVID-19 cases um, in Latin America right now. And she's basically been looking at associations between the number of case reports and socioeconomic factors in Brazil, primarily in Sao Paulo. So hopefully that will get published soon. But I think it's an interesting thing to point out. There's been a lot of people talking about when it becomes summer, is it going to go away? Are the warmer temperatures going to make the, the rates lessen? And I think the fact that places like Brazil, I mean, I think there's just so much more work that needs to be done related to climate and how it interacts with other factors. And why are we seeing big outbreaks in some parts of Latin America or in the, in the tropics and, and not others? So I think there's a lot more research that needs to be done there. I think geographers will have a lot to say when it comes to that and have a lot to contribute um, in terms of thinking about climate. But I think as of now, there haven't been that many published studies really looking at the ecological associations uh, between climate and, and COVID-19. Uh, I know that there are a lot of hypotheses floating around and a lot of people who want to look into it, but it's not as straightforward as something like a mosquito-borne illness, which we know exactly how it's linked to the environment. We know how mosquitoes survive in the environment with different temperatures and, and things like that. But when it comes to a respiratory illness, there are a lot more questions to be raised in it. The complication of people's interactions and human movement and things like that that um, come into play. So, And it's all so new. The fact is that it's been around for less than a year and everyone is trying to do the best that they can with 
the limited information they have. Exactly. Very limited information. The few things I've seen are dealing with data from January to February. Or even even if it's January up till April, I mean, the temperatures aren't that varied during that time period. So it's really hard to make projections then going forward to when the temperatures change and say, oh, well, it's going to get worse in subtropical areas where they're going to have their winter when it's our summer and um, vice versa. So it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen when we don't have that much data to actually be dealing with right now. But that's not all, is it? Can you talk about your work with the Oxford Martin School? So I guess the other interesting area that I've been involved in has been as a co-director of the Oxford Martin School program on pandemic genomics. Um, I've been a co-director of that for a few years, but it's really sort of masterminded by these two professors in zoology. I'm kind of the geographer on the project, but they are uh, mathematical epidemiologists and evolutionary biologists. So that's um, Professor Oliver Pibus and Angela McLean, and they both are actually now advising different sectors of the UK government. So I think she advises uh, the Ministry of Defence, and he's advising for SAGE. And so they're doing a lot of work on sort of how the virus has evolved and sort of how things might change going forward. But one interesting aspect that I have contributed towards was just looking a bit at mobile phone data in the UK that they obtained um, looking at how people's movements have changed sort of pre and post lockdown and really just kind of mapping it by sort of local authority district in the UK, kind of having a look at um, what areas have changed more than others in terms of um, the lockdown. Where did the lockdown actually lead to a greater reduction in movement? And, you know, not surprisingly, places like London have seen huge reductions but that's because the starting point was much higher. I mean London is so mobile with everyone getting the tube it's such a connected city. And then likewise I think the places we've seen a lower rate of reduction everywhere has gone down pretty much because it's had to (laughs) but have been places that are transport hubs so closer to Heathrow and where people are coming in and out of the country, even though that has gone down dramatically. Those are the places where you're still seeing sort of the most movement. And the idea, we haven't done this yet, but the idea is to then correlate those movements with virus evolution and look at, you know, is there a greater diversity of genotypes in places where people are moving more and that kind of thing. But again, the data is not all there yet. It's not perfect. And that's sort of an ongoing project. But I think it really highlights the point, though, that geographers are always collaborating with people in other um, disciplines and and what we have to offer. I I think it's great that, you know, I get to work with people in all these different fields. You know, they tend to aim for interdisciplinarity as well. I think anyone in a health field does. But I think right now, during a pandemic, it's really bringing to the forefront the need to really cross disciplinary boundaries. And things that are easy for me are not easy for them and vice versa. So me to whip up a map of human mobility, you know, based on some mobile phone data and then compare it to the genetic data is interesting. But, you know, and to them is quite challenging. But from my point of view, getting all that genetic data together, you know, is not my area of expertise. So it's, you know, it's nice to see collaborations being fruitful for something that is a problem right now, not in the past. 
and not in the future, not sort of looking back or projecting, but kind of a problem that we're having right now. And I think geography does lend itself to interdisciplinarity. It's a subject where we constantly work with different people involved in such a breadth of things. I think geographers do have that ability to bring connectedness to a project. I think it's really impossible to just define what a geographer is without thinking about what other fields they work with. And that you always kind of have your foot in another door, at least that's been my case. I've always worked with people in epidemiology departments, public health schools, medical professionals. It wouldn't make sense for me to work in a bubble. And I think this is really highlighting the need for not only geographers in other disciplines, but also for geographers to look outside their departments and think, okay, who should I be working with um, to solve this problem that has a very real need right now? Absolutely. And so sort of likewise, I think one of the things that's been interesting during the pandemic has been that I think a lot of what I've done in the past, so for example, doing global mapping of dengue virus and looking at environmental suitability for dengue worldwide. It's really nice to produce these global maps that are highly detailed and we're really proud of them, but sometimes it's uh, frustrating to feel as though there are many steps removed between producing those maps and them having an impact on people's lives. So even if you do get the attention of a national you know, Ministry of Health, based on these maps and they say, hey, can you send me a subnational map? And, you know, we want to prioritize our surveillance based on your maps. You know, that's great. But I think then there are other steps beyond that where even if they increase their surveillance or their interventions in certain areas, how do we know those are actually, you know, reducing morbidity and mortality in those areas? So I think it's frustrating for me sometimes to feel that tangible effect of my research. And even though I'm not necessarily feeling that to such a greater degree, you know, right now, it's nice to know that things like, you know, getting asked by someone who's working for SAGE to look at mobile phone data and actually analyze it in a way that's useful to them. It's actually defined by the needs of public officials rather than vice versa, where we think we know what public officials want and we think we know what research questions will be of interest to them. And we hope that they are and that they'll use our results afterwards. I kind of like this model more, where it's defined by a very real need right now. Yeah, so someone's asking you specifically for data they're planning on using. Which brings me to my next question. What sorts of data are geographers going to be able to talk about in terms of this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, we've already seen the effects of, you know, epidemiologists, for example, becoming famous in the news right now. And people care about their personal lives and First of all, probably because there's nobody else to gossip about because celebrities are staying at home. But just interestingly, I think that, you know, you're seeing people giving advice to the government directly about something that is affecting people's lives right now. And I think even though it hasn't been specifically geographers yet doing that, I think there's definitely a capacity for that to start happening more and more. I know that professors in our department, like uh, Danny Dorling, a human social geographer who has focused on social inequality for decades, he's being called upon for advice and input greatly now. You know, um, he always has been in terms of Brexit. Whenever there's sort of a big political change or something that involves social inequality in the UK, you know, he is a go-to expert. But I think that geographers are now going to suddenly be able to advise on more things like 
you know, what people need more attention in society right now, um, what places need more attention, what populations, you know, should we focus on not only in terms of preventing illness, but who has access to treatment, who has access to protective equipment. If you think about the US, you know, access to healthcare is another thing that geographers have been studying for ages. And it's going to become so, I mean, it's already so important in the US who just gets access to testing. And we're seeing there are inequalities based on race, social status, employment status, sectors of employment, you know, with the meatpacking industries in the US, people who have to go to work and don't get the protective behavior. I mean, all of these things, I think, are the kind of things that geographers hopefully are going to, you know, get to give their input on. And I know that they they already are in a lot of uh, different parts of, of the US and the UK. It's research that has been happening and has always happened, um, but people are beginning to pay attention to it because it's got such an impact on people's health. Um, now more than ever, I guess, officials are looking at this research and saying, oh, we need to actually do something with this. Uh, do you think people are becoming more aware of the work of geographers as a result of this? And I think not just public health officials, but your everyday person now is suddenly aware of geography. And even if they don't realise that's what it is and they don't think of it in those terms, it's, you know, they're suddenly aware of how much they did used to see people. And even people who might have considered themselves not very social are feeling very isolated now. And just becoming aware of how we use open spaces and what the social norms are around that and the environment. I mean, I don't know if you've heard this, but anecdotally, I've heard a lot of people talking about how they can hear more birds and and things like that. And the air seems fresher. And, you know, I mean, it's just really interesting to hear even your everyday person anecdotally talk about things that are environmental and social geography type of research questions. I think it's affecting people's everyday lives in a way that they're thinking spatially, thinking about geography as a part of their lives where they might not have before. We can't complain about that. Not at all. And so I thought one really interesting thing when I was thinking about talking to you, I, I sort of had a look at what some of the geographers in the US and the UK that I know of have been working on. I noticed that from talking to a few other sort of health and medical geographers, that I've collaborated with in the past, they said that more and more of their students are taking interest, a, a huge interest in this pandemic, um, even though it's affecting their lives negatively. So they're not being able to attend university in person. They're having to return home to live with their parents when it was their first chance at freedom and everything. But I think some of them are realizing, wow, I actually might have chosen a discipline that is really great to be a part of and has something to offer in the world during a very important time. I spoke with my previous PhD supervisor, his name's Mike Emsch, um, who's a medical geographer in, in the US um, at uh, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, which is where I did my PhD. So he shifted his health and medical geography class mid-semester to focus entirely on the pandemic. And I think this was before it went virtual, but they've carried on virtually. But he said that suddenly his students were more engaged than ever. And I noticed that even in my one disease ecology lecture that I gave right before the lockdown, that I got a much higher attendance for that lecture than I ever got before. But what I think is really interesting and a really cool idea that I wish I thought of is that 
Mike Emch has decided to basically engage his undergrads and graduate students and essentially turn them into workers for, for his project. But he's getting them to sort of create and manage a massive North Carolina COVID-19 database and even do some of the spatial and statistical analyses for it. And, you know, and I think it, it's exciting for them because they feel as though their degree isn't just a degree that, okay, I'm a geography major on paper. They're contributing towards something. They're, they're going to get acknowledged in a, in a publication or even an authorship on a publication where they might not have otherwise. And, you know, they get to tell their friends and family about this work they're contributing to that's of real use right now. So I think that's something that we maybe need to all think about. How can we involve our students more in real life, giving them field work and things that are not just, oh, here's a cute little field work project for you. You know, how can they, when they're out in the field, how can they collect data that might actually get used in a publication, not just in the time of a pandemic, but after that, you know, when we're doing field trips for first year undergrads to Dorset, which we do in, in the geography department here in Oxford. You know, how can we get them to start collecting data that's not just for their field report, but actually maybe we could have a, a longitudinal data set, you know, looking at erosion over over many years or something like that. And Absolutely. I know that that's something I did during my master's degree. And it's a great feeling to know that you've contributed to something. And I think that's what makes geography such a great subject. I guess there's sort of a toss up between having your own data and having the sort of ownership over it versus doing something that will actually likely get published. But I think that at least adding a component where their master's students and undergrads are collecting data that's contributing to something larger, I think is beneficial on both sides. And I think this pandemic is really a good opportunity to do that and make people feel that they're involved in something that society cares a lot about right now. It's something that actually all of the subfields, no matter how niche they are, can contribute something, I think, to from, you know, studying the effects of isolation on mental health um, and well-being, on the use of parks and social distancing measures and how that's affecting both the environment and people. I think, you know, population environment interactions are inherently linked to geographic research. And yeah, I think we're going to just see a lot more of that becoming um, in the forefront of students' minds. Whether they carry on after this to keep studying pandemics or disease or anything, I think it, if anything, it, hopefully it's just showing people, you know, because this is the thing right now, it's the pandemic, and it is sort of the most important thing going on in the world right now. But all the other problems aren't going away, you know, and, and I always say that both disease-wise as well. Um, sometimes it's hard for me to feel as though carrying on studying dengue and other vector-borne diseases right now is important. It's hard to, you know, sometimes I go, oh, is it, do I need to really work on that? Does anyone care? Doesn't everyone only just care about COVID-19 right now? But really, those problems aren't going away and other social inequality problems are not going away. And I think, if anything, COVID-19 is just making everything blaringly obvious from social inequality to pollution, climate change, all of these things. Yeah, it's quite scary because some of the maps I've seen show that even though air pollution levels are falling, individual action can only take us so far because we've all cut down on what we're doing and it's still not enough. Yeah, individual action can only go so far, but at the same time, it shows that a government policy can have a big effect, that it has reduced pollution in some areas a lot. 
But then on the flip side of that, we're having serious economic problems because of this. So it raises that exact question of how do we balance, you know, the problems associated with climate change with the need for economic advancement. So I think people are becoming acutely aware of all of these things that scientists have been worried about for decades, but it's sort of becoming more topical, I think, in in everyday conversation. At least I've noticed that with people who aren't geographers, aren't academics. They're speaking about things that a lot of scientists and academics have been worried about or talking about for so long. And now it's just part of everyday conversation. Absolutely. So you've spoken a lot about the research you're involved in and other bits of research that geographers are involved in. But how do you think geographers are going to be able to contribute to halting a pandemic in the future? Is the work that we're doing going to be uh, useful for future similar scenarios? I would like to think that. I would hope so, because if that's not the case, then a lot of the work I try and do on other diseases is completely irrelevant as well. My point being that when we come up with maps and models of not only where the disease might continue to spread, but also what populations are likely to be most affected or prioritizing if and when a a successful vaccine comes out, what areas do we prioritize and what people within those areas do we prioritize? Things like that. These are questions that we've been asking for a long time, um, at least in the health geography side of things, and also access to healthcare and who needs help the most in this sort of situation. So I would like to think that all of those considerations are not only being considered right now, But also we can look back, look at the data after the fact and say, okay, what worked and what didn't work and how can we apply those lessons in the future? And I think, as I said, that goes for all diseases, not just COVID-19. Specifically, I think from every subfield, they're going to have some findings out of this that will have some implication for future policies. Um, It's just a matter of communicating those. And I think going back to what we were talking about earlier starting from the beginning with what policymakers want to know and need to know. We all say that we're going to do that. Um, You know, when you write a grant proposal or a paper, you say, oh, this is going to help policymakers. And you talk about the impact you're going to have. But I think we all need to think a lot more about that very seriously and from the beginning and really engaging policymakers and government officials from the very beginning rather than as a post hoc or an afterthought. As geographers, we kind of all have something to offer here. I can definitely agree with that. Thank you so much for joining us today, Janie. If you like this podcast, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rgs underscore ibg for more updates about geographical talks and news. Thank you for tuning in. We hope to see you next time.